to go downstairs. They're excited to get there. I love that. Well, welcome everyone. Glad that you're here this morning. It's great to have Amy Jacks with us. Amy, where's Amy sitting? There she is. Welcome, Amy. Amy's going to share with us in a couple weeks. For those of you who don't know Amy, Amy uh, does missions, uh, work overseas. I can't remember. I know it's with YWAM, but it's not really, I mean, it's, can we say that, YWAM? Yeah, so we'll go with that. Uh, She's been in England, Jordan, other places, so it's great to have Amy here for the holidays, and again, she'll share in a couple weeks. I also want to introduce some very special guests, Jody and Dale Graham. Uh, Jody was Kathy's roommate before me. Uh, the last roommate Kathy had before me was, was uh, Jody, and Jody and Dale have been friends of ours for a long time. They're here visiting from California, uh, uh, Dale's family and their two sons. Uh, Dale's family's from here, and they're here with their two sons, so it's great to, great to have them with us today. Hope you had a great holiday. How's that Bible reading plan going? Aren't you all excited? Some of you are like, oh my lands, I forgot already. Good news, you're only three days late, you can make this up, now is the time to catch up. It's going to get harder in February and March, Uh, so the plans are on the back table as you leave. For those of you who have missed it, we at Fullness are reading the Bible through over the next two years. Over the next two, it's a two-year Bible reading plan. You read the New Testament and the Psalms each year, half the Old Testament the first year, half the Old Testament the second year. It's a plan that was developed by a a Scottish uh, preacher from years ago, Robert McShane. Um, D.A. Carson has a series of devotions that go along with the readings. We'll kind of expound on that even as the morning goes along. So get your Bible reading plans before you leave. Catch up. It's only uh, so far. Don't do it now. For those of you who are like, oh, i got to read Genesis 1 through 3. Not now. Later. Uh, Read Genesis 1 through 3, Matthew 1 through 3. Uh, it's going to be fun, fun year as we uh, study God's Word, God's Word together. In the weeks ahead, I want to talk to you about uh, the power of story, the power of story, God's story, our story, my story, meaning our individual stories, that there is power in what God has done in the past, is doing in the present, and will do in the future. Do you ever feel, however, like your story is going in a circle? Like, I've been here before. I've been at this exact point before. Matter of fact, I feel like I've been at this exact point a bunch of times. And I just keep coming round and round and round to this same point. I, I, I in faith, believe that this is going to be a year of breakthrough for many of you individually and for us as a corporate body a passage I returned to again this week as I was praying about the days ahead was Deuteronomy 2, verses 1 through 3, uh, where, God said, where Moses says, and God says to them, Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and circled Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. Uh, I, I really do believe that it's great to look at our stories of the past, but it's in order that the destiny that God has for us in the future can be realized. And for those of you who feel like you've been going around the same mountain again and again and again, coming to the same point, I want to say in faith, this is, this is going to be your breakthrough for many of us as we 
seek the Lord. Uh, we're not going to break out on our own. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have realized, uh, maybe uh, you may have noticed I've got a gray beard now. Last time I had a beard, it wasn't quite this gray. The time before that, it wasn't gray at all. Some of you are like, I can't even tell he's got a beard from where I'm sitting. That's how gray it's become. I'm going skiing at the end of the month, so I'm trying to get ready for that. Um, you know, just a little warmth. But I've realized in the years that I've become a gray beard that the harder I work, the less I have the ability to break out of the patterns of my life. I mean, I, as much as, as smart as I think I am, as disciplined as I think I am, as I just can't break out of the habits of thinking and doing in my life on my own. I am totally and completely dependent upon the grace of God. And so I believe as we look to God and look toward his grace and look toward his power, he's going to help us. And that's one of the reasons we do this time of prayer and fasting. Starting today, tonight, tomorrow, these next days, we're going to enter into 21 days of prayer and fasting as a congregation. Uh, it begins now that we're going to be looking to the Lord to say, Lord, what do we, how do we focus on you so that we don't go around this mountain again as a body, as a congregation, as a people, as individuals? Lord, we're looking to you for a breakthrough in our lives. And I'm asking everyone who's a part of Fullness Christian Fellowship, if you claim to be a part of this body, I'm asking you to join in with us, to pray each day, to look to God, to ask God for his provision in this body, in us individually, breakthrough in other people's lives. Every day at noon, we'll have prayer here uh, in the sanctuary. Mitch is going to lead us in a time of worship and prayer, and we'll have different elders and staff who will be facilitating the time. Every day at noon, except on Sunday, we'll be having prayer here. So we ask, if you can, whatever day you can join us at lunch to, to make your way down here. It'll go from 12 to 1.30. It's a come-and-go kind of thing. It's not a formalized service. So as you can come in and just join together. You know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered. What happens when 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 or 25 or 100 are gathered? I mean, it just multiplies what God is doing. So please come and pray with us uh, at noon each, each day as, or as much as you can. I know some of you actually have jobs, and, uh, but maybe at your job you could set a time aside knowing that we're here at noon, maybe like 12.15. You can pull away from your job for a couple of minutes to just join in agreement in prayer. Let's seek after God. The whole fasting thing, whatever God leads you to fast from, go with that. I'm not asking you unless God leads you to fast for 21 days from food. That's quite an endeavor. Uh, but whatever God is leading you to fast from, maybe it's media, maybe it's sweets, um, maybe it's something else um, that maybe for some of you it would be football. Uh, fast from football. Wait a minute. We got a game a week from Monday that... It's a little much, um, but whatever God is directing you, it's not a legalistic deal. It's more of a saying, God, I'm going to give up this that I love or this that uh, I'm dependent on in order and for the purpose of seeking after, seeking after you. So you've got a lot going on. You've got the Bible reading plan uh, to, to look at God's word together, us in prayer and fasting. 
Because I believe God has a purpose for us. This is our theme verse as a church. We've been over this time and time and time again, but I just want to remind you that this is part of our story. This is part of your story if you're a part of Fullness Christian Fellowship. This is Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesians, and I believe a prayer that carries over for us. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, kneeling, prayer, a position of prayer, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And if you remember, he goes on, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine. The blessing I speak over us each and every Sunday comes from this prayer for the Ephesian church, which I believe is a prayer for every church, that we would know the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ Jesus, and the fullness of God. Is that something you desire in your life? To know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? To be so filled with the love of Christ Jesus that we're not self-centered, but that we're love-centered. To actually say the fullness of God envelops me. What a difference on this earth. Forget the earth. What a difference at your house this would make. I mean, think about it. If everybody in just your house was manifesting the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ and the fullness of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, I prayed for this on family vacations at times. Please, somebody have some love here. I'm telling you. Anyway, we believe that as a church, and we want to embrace this in the coming days. And so I really want to talk about the power of story and to get us into this time of prayer and fasting I want to talk about, a little bit this morning, the purpose of the church. Not just us as a church, but the church in general, applying it to who we are. And to do that, I want to look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Just to to run into Romans 15, and again, I I love the book of Romans. You know that if you've been here very long. I somehow always come back to the, the book of Romans at some point. But in the book of Romans, Paul has been talking about how we as a people ought to quit fighting over meaningless things, doubtful things, things that are debatable. We shouldn't make the debatable things non-debatable. Hello? You know what I mean? We, We shouldn't make things that the Bible is not clear on. We shouldn't make them matters of doctrine. Too often in the church, we make Debatable things, non-debatable, and non-debatable things, debatable. It's the way the enemy works. He likes to trip us up like that. But Paul's been talking about that. And in chapter 14, he's been talking about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ on a personal level. Then in chapter 15, he comes in and basically says, and when, when all us individuals are following after God on a personal level, this is what 
the corporate body looks like. This is what the gathered people are supposed to look like. So since we do church every week and more, shouldn't it be important to know, okay, here's what we're supposed to be about. What is it we are actually supposed to be doing? So this is a reminder sermon. As we enter in this time of prayer and fasting, who are we? Who are we as the people of God? Now, this is going to be really fundamental. It's really foundational. But if you don't get the foundational things, you know, bad foundations lead to bad things eventually. There's a lot of falling down and crumbling if you don't get the foundation right. So I just want to revisit. And really, the sermons this entire month are really that. They're about reestablishing some foundations. I really think if the nation of Israel, going around the mountain, kept coming back to that place, there was something fundamental they were missing. And God kept saying, until you get this, you can't go inherit the land. You can't go take the promised land until you get this fundamental foundational thinking. They were thinking like slaves. They were thinking like they just had a lot of bad thinking going on, that God wanted to break off of them so that they could move forward. And I believe it's the same for some of us right now. We need to reestablish a couple of foundations in order to move forward. So here, I'm going to walk us through Romans 15. Not all of it. I'm going to skip a couple of sections. But walking through Romans 15, here's who we are. First point is this. We are to live for him and for others. We're to live for him and for others. Notice who's not on this line ourselves. Ourselves. We're to live for him and then for others. And let me just say, as I run into this, there is a, there's an order here that's not just a priority. It is a priority. In other words, you can't live for others if you're not living for him. You got to live for him in order to live for others. And you can't live for him and for others if you're living for yourself. So here's what it says in verses one through three. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. We don't live to please others. We live to please God. But you you may be looking at this passage and saying, well, wait a minute, Bart. He's saying that we are to live to please others. Here's what I believe God in his word says. We we say here over and over again, love God, love people. Love God, love people. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with everything you are. And the second like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. In that priority, in that order, we love God and then we love people. We're to live for God and then live for people. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 1.10, and, and I'm going to try and come around this in a way that hopefully we'll, we'll all catch it. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. He, here's the point. We so love God that we want what God wants in our lives. That should be the driving force of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We should be 
living in such a way that we please God in everything that we do. He is our priority. We then, in turn, love others. But in order to love others, I have to know what God is speaking to me, how God is dealing. What does God want? What does God want for Emory Brawley? What does God desire for him? How do I love Emory in such a way that it draws him closer to God? See, we, we sometimes when we get this love God, love people thing, oh, I love people, that means I'm supposed to keep people happy. I'm supposed to please people. And, and Paul is saying just the opposite. My goal is not to make you happy. My goal is not to please you. My goal is to, in love, speak the truth of God and live the word of God out in such a way that it draws you closer to God. What greater manifestation of love is there than I lay down my life for you? For what purpose? To draw you closer to God. Do you see the difference? Look, if if I'm living to please you, then I can tell you, I'm going to be miserable. It's not going to really do any good for you. You know, I'm going to make you think you're fine. Everything's cool. You can be a perfect whatever you are because I'm trying to keep you happy. That's not God's goal for your life. God's goal for your life is to be drawn into relationship with him and to become more like him in every way. You see, you can please people to their detriment. Let me say that again. You can please people to their detriment. Goal in parenting. What is your goal in parenting? Your goal in parenting is to help your children come to a saving knowledge, know who Jesus is, walk in relationship with God, and to achieve the destiny for which he created them. Your goal is not to help get them rich. Your, your goal is not to help them even get married and have children unless that's God's desire for who they are. Your goal is to help them achieve the death. And your goal is not to make your children happy. Your goal is not even to make your children happy so that you'll feel better about yourself. Readjust. Readjust. And it all begins with who is God? How do I love God with everything that I am? To the point that I'm now living my life to manifest the love and glory of God in other people's lives. Jesus, this this quote from uh, Romans 1 at the end where he says, For even Christ did not please himself. That's what we look like as a community. We look like Jesus looks in the sense of we're not takers. We're not dependent. We live lives to the glory of God. We're to bear with the failings of the weak. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to try and keep moving on because I could get bogged down in this. Look, it, it is hard to bear with the failings of the weak, isn't it? Hello? I know some of, y'all, some of y'all are much more spiritual than me uh, when it comes to this, but it's a lot of work to bear with the, fa- the failings of the weak. It takes a lot more effort on our part. Hello? I'm, I'm not sure you're still with me. It's much easier to sit at home and watch television. 
than it is to bear with the failings of the weak. I mean, there's just a lot of work involved. But if we really live for him and live for others, then we're getting up off the couch, headed outside to help somebody. We're giving money. We're, We're doing what it takes to minister the love of Christ to the world around us. And then he quotes from Psalm 69 at the end here where he says, the insults of those who have insulted you have fallen where? We are so identified with God that when people insult God, those insults fall on us. Many of us, many people, many Christians really are so afraid of being insulted. Listen, I'm not talking about going out and being obnoxious just to be obnoxious. I mean, I, I, I know how to do that well. But what I'm saying is to be so identified with Christ that people then insult the Christ calling in your life. The only way to live this kind of life of loving God, loving others to this extent is really to know this is God's call on our lives. Smith Wigglesworth, a famous preacher, said, I am not moved by what I see or hear. I am moved by what I believe. You have to get this down in you at the deepest level to know that loving God and then loving others is the critical element of our lives. Moving forward, and we do this by living by his word. Living by his word. I'm just walking again back in Romans 15. Now I'm in verses 4 and 5. He says, For everything that it was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, and he goes on to make another statement about this in a moment that we'll continue on with. The scriptures, the Bible. He says, look at these statements that he says. It was for everything that was written in the past. Written in the past. Now, I, again, this is, I'm running through this because I don't have time to get, um, to do a complete study of this. But when you study the Scripture, like when you're going to be reading the Bible this year, remember that it was written in a specific context. It was written to a specific people at a specific time. And in order to understand the Scripture, and you don't have to be a a Bible scholar to just keep that in your head. Oh, this was written to the nation of Israel at this point. If you need some help, there's tons of them online. Just go get a Bible commentary to see, okay, who was the... Who was the book of Exodus or Leviticus or why was it written Chronicles or Psalm or Job or this? What am I reading? What's the context to it? It was written, if you don't take into account that it was written to a specific people at a specific time, then it can change the meaning. It can change the meaning of it. So just remember that. It was also written to teach us. So there's a context to it, but it's also relevant for us today. It can teach us now, thousands of years later, what can it teach us? Well, it can teach us that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we can have hope. It is, there's a context to Scripture. It's relevant, and it's very practical. It brings us hope, helps us 
have endurance and encouragement. And then he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement. The scripture is divine in origin. It's divine in origin. It is not just a suggestion. It is, as we say, God's word. So when God says, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, then how do I negotiate my way through to saying, oh, God doesn't really want this or God allows this? Listen, I I have to get to a point. I don't believe you can disagree with a person on a more fundamental level than this. What is it that you believe? And why do you believe it? And I'm not talking from an arrogant, obnoxious sense again. I'm just saying, what is it that's going to determine the course of your life? Is it your experience? Is it your reason? Is it the opinion of others? Or is it the Scripture? Or is what God says truth? At some point, I believe that we individually have to settle it for ourselves that God's word is authoritative. It is the authority for our lives. It's the way by which we live our lives. And we have to answer the question, are we willing to trust the Lord that his word is right? I've been in a church, I've been in church life a long time. And I, I know the games we play to make the Word of God say what we want it to say. It can get very convoluted. It can be, get very complicated. But I want to encourage you to settle for yourselves what it... And if you keep these things in mind, what is the context? How is it relevant? How is it practical? What is God saying? It's divine in origin. It'll help keep you from misinterpreting God's word in order to make it say something that it doesn't actually say. And we at we fullness, we, we have things that will help. We have Wednesday evening classes. It's my conviction to preach God's word every single Sunday morning. If you notice, we don't do a lot of self-help sermons. We just believe the Bible will help us in ourselves. Mainly, the Bible will help us get out of ourselves in order to live for, for him. All right, so we live by his word. Third point, we live in unity. We live in unity. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. I love the way he puts these together. We need encouragement and endurance to live in unity. Among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, I think if you read into this, you'll see that this is, Paul is trying to say unity is hard. Unity takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. This is like the, for some of us, this is like the, the lease commercials on cars. Here's the lease price, but oh, wait a minute, it doesn't include tax title, dealer prep. Some, some sort of rubber undercoating that I, that, I, that I sprayed on your car. It doesn't include gas or steering wheel. It doesn't include any of those things. All those things are going to be extra. 
No, I'm not nailing all the car dealers in here, please. Forgive me. Or those drug commercials, you know. If you want help. But, you, you know, if you take this drug, you could, you could be vomiting. You could be uh, experiencing all sorts of aches, pains, psycho things, psycho things, death. You know, all, you know I don't even want to go to some of the others, you know, that they, they talk about. Listen, unity, we all on the surface say, eh, yeah, I want to be, yeah, unity, that sounds great. That sounds great, but people, unity takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. Rupertus Meldinius says this, in, and it's a famous saying, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity, in all things, love. What is he, again, he, Paul is saying, and has been saying, look, there are some things that we unify around that are non-negotiable. The deity of Jesus Christ, the authority of God's word, God's work of grace in our lives. Those are non-debatables. Those are, but there's a lot of other stuff. Yeah, non-essentials. Give liberty to one another. But in everything, we're to express love to one another. We need each other. At the very end of Romans, which is coming up quick for Paul, he sends greetings to different people in the church in Rome. And in that, he, sends out, he calls out 24 different names at the end of Romans of people he's greeting. <clears throat> and these people are Jews, Romans, Gentiles, slaves, free, male, female. It's an incredible mixture of people from all different backgrounds. And he's trying to say to them, as much as it depends on you to live at peace with everyone. Walk in unity, and it's going to take some work. Listen, here at Fullness, we're, we're quite a mix of people. We come from different races, if you haven't noticed. We come from different backgrounds, different genders. I'm Baptist. My wife's Catholic in origin. I mean, we got people from Assembly of God, Methodist, Presbyterian, the liberal ones, Presbyterian, the conservative ones, Lutherans, uh, Bible Church, um, heathens. We come from everywhere. I mean, really, we got all these backgrounds coming together. We got all this stuff we bring with us, and it, you know, it takes a lot of work to maintain unity because we got different ideas. Oh, here's what the church is supposed to look like. We're supposed to do this every Sunday or that every Sunday or we're supposed to avoid this or, you know. Some of us were taught that non-essentials are essential. And it's hard, to, it's hard to unload that stuff, isn't it? It's hard to unload. Wait a minute. It's not in the Bible? It says I can't do this or I can't do that? It's hard to live in unity. And then you combine all the other experiences that we've had in our lives. There are a lot of things that will hinder us from walking in unity. Um, Past experiences. Past experiences. The hurts of the past. I don't want to ever do that again. I don't want to get involved in that. And anything that reminds me of that, I'm going to avoid. So those past experiences... Uh, unmet expectations. Oh, here's what it's supposed to, here's how God's going to move. Here's what church is supposed to look like. Exclusive fellowship. 
being with the same people over and over and over and over again, not letting anybody else in. Every congregation has to fight this. How do we walk in unity but don't become so unified that we're concrete, so to speak, that we still are, want to receive others as they come in and, and be a part? Being unaccountable is also, this will hurt us in walking in unity to say, hey, it's just me and Jesus. We see this a lot in the church. All I need is Jesus and this preacher on TV. That's not church. I'm sorry, I'm getting off track here. Uh, Special knowledge. Oh, I've heard from God. I'm the only one who's heard from God. Or a condescending attitude. I know, I know that this is what will fix them. Listen, we... We all have to fight these battles at times, to know and to walk in unity together. By the way, how are we going to really, where's the rubber meet the road here on walking in unity? I believe it happens in small groups. You know, we're not a big church, a couple hundred people here, but you can't do that on Sunday morning. I mean, you can't be known and know people here in this setting. I mean, even if you think you do, and a lot of you sit in the same place every Sunday morning. And so, you know, the four or five people around you, you say hi to them every Sunday morning. You, you love on them, give them a hug. Uh, you might even know their names. But you don't really know them. And they don't really know you. The only way that that can happen is in a smaller group environment of some sort where you are known by people and they know you. So, if you're part of fullness, we expect that you're part of a small group in some environment because we want you to grow. It's not because it's legalistic about it. It's not because we, we, we want to just have better numbers and percentages. It's so that you'll know people and they'll know you because you, that's the way we walk in unity together. Ephesians 4 says, make every effort... Again, effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. Acts 4.32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Walk by the power of the Spirit. That's my last point. If we're really going to walk in unity, then we have to hear and live according to the Spirit Binding us together in every step that we take. <clears throat> Forgive me uh, just for a second, but we've, we've walked Romans 15, 1 through 6 or so together. In verses 7 through 13, which I'm going to skip, Paul quotes four different Old Testament passages, which clearly have to do with the Gentiles or the nations, about them coming together. And again, it has to do with unity. All All people from all backgrounds have now come together. And he ends with this conclusion about hope leads to joy, which leads to peace, and then back to hope again. In other words, wherever we come from, we have hope and joy and peace and more hope. But he closes in Romans 15, 13 by saying this. So I pray that God who gives you hope, he's back to hope, will give, keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. And then he says, 
may you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power. If you reverse it just a little bit, I believe what he's saying is, where the Holy Spirit is, there is hope and joy and peace. Where the power of the Spirit is flowing into your life, you're going to manifest what? Think about it. You're going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. We, we have to live by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Again, I've talked about this passage. I'm having trouble here, sorry. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom to do what? Freedom to live not under the bondage of sin. That's the bottom line of this passage. What, what, what is the reverse of that? Well, let me put it like this. You can act however you want to act. You can worship however you want to worship. In other words, you could, you could, you could dance and lift your hands and shout before the Lord but the bottom line, according to the scripture, is you're not free unless you're free not to sin. Freedom isn't defined by what I look like externally, so to speak. Freedom is about the freedom of God in my life to walk where sin does no longer has its hold on me. I want to live by the power of the Spirit. What I mean, think about it. If, if you really want love and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit in your life, what does that look like? Well, it means I'm not corrupting it with sin. So therefore, if I'm living by the power of the Spirit, I'm walking in freedom, the freedom to not sin. Hallelujah. And some of you may be thinking, wait a minute. Does that mean I'm going to live a perfect life? No. Sorry. I don't have that hope for you yet that you are I but it does mean that I am not going to be locked into continual sins over and over and over again think about it we just finished um, freedom weekends freedom the the life groups living in freedom every day that we um, that comes from church of the highlands And, and so we go to the freedom and what is it that you learn every single week you learn the word of God it's poured into your life so that then the power of the Spirit can move through you to set you free from past junk so that you can walk. <clears throat> Here I come around that mountain again. What is the mountain that I keep coming around? For most of us, it's some stronghold in our lives. Some stronghold of sin that we need to be set free from. And if we really want to break out then we love God, we live according to his word, we walk in unity together, and we live by the power of the Spirit, and we're going to break out. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, that doesn't, I wanted something new to help me break out. Here's the deal, people, there's no magic pill. There's no, like, if you want to lose weight, what do you have to do? Wait, wait a minute, you're getting personal here. 
No, if you're going to, I mean, if you, you have to eat less, exercise more. At this point, there's still no magic pill to help you. I mean, I don't care what they're selling you on TV. Eventually, it comes down to that. If you're going to live the Christian life, then how are you going to do it? You're going to do it according to God's way. Loving him, living according to his word, loving others, walking in unity together, and living by the power of the Spirit. I believe that that's God's call on our church. That's who we are. That's what we're going to look at at the days ahead. How, how does God's story, his story of redemption play into this? How does our story as a church manifest this? What are we specifically to be doing? How does my story individually impact the lives of those, those around me? People, I, I want to say to us again, I believe this is an awesome church. This is an awesome people. God has done incredible things to bring us to this place. We're a people who know God. We're a people who know and are known by each other for the most part. If you want to hide, you can hide. But I want to encourage you, don't hide. Know others. Get to know them. We, we want to be a people who know the Word. We're going to continue to immerse ourselves in God's Word. We want to know how to walk in unity and stand against the enemy. His, his job description is accuser of who? Of the brothers and sisters. His job is to sow disunity. And so, for us to stand in unity, we have to stand against him. We, we want to know how to live in freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. And when we walk that out, then as Paul prays in Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? For who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we pray today that we will be a people who live for you and live to see the glory of God manifest in the lives of others. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who stand on your word, who stand according to your truth. God, I pray that we will be a people who walk in unity. We will make every effort through the power of the Spirit, to walk together. And we will be a people who are characterized by the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the freedom that comes in knowing Christ Jesus, that we don't have to be in bondage to sin anymore. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. I, I pray for specific people here today who may not know Jesus Christ as the one who leads their lives and has forgiven their sins. And I pray that, Spirit of God, you would draw them to that blessed name of Jesus. For those of us who are followers of Christ, Lord, I pray that we would learn to live in freedom, to walk in freedom, to live for you, for others, by your word, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I am so excited, Jesus, about what you're going to do in this people and this place in the year ahead. It is time that we no longer go around the same mountain again and again. 
May we achieve the destiny for which you redeemed us, created us, and have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you, are you looking forward to the days ahead? I pray so. I think it's going to be awesome what God has to do. And I believe this time of prayer and fasting is critical for us to experience both breakout individually and corporately. Usually, by the way, when I fast and pray, I, I, I usually set out with the goal of fasting to kind of